This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. so much for being on. I'm so excited to chat today. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. And it's so nice too. I, I uh, Sometimes, you know, obviously with podcasts, as you know this, because you have one as well, you never really know what you're going to get with guests. But because you have your own show, it's like I'm not even nervous. Like you do this for a living as well. <laughs> I know. Me too. Me too. I'm excited to talk to you. I know you're a good host. So I would love to start off with, um, honestly, I would love to just start off with like your journey, like in the sex space. Like what's the story? Is this something you like knew you wanted to do or is it something you kind of fell into? Well, I used to have no orgasms. Now I have all the orgasms in my oh, story. my God. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. I, I joke around, you know. Um, well, my story started as I was a little girl in Thailand. I'm actually originally from Thailand. Have you ever been? Okay. I've never been. You know, a friend of mine is there right now and they just <gasps> texted me and they were like, you would love Thailand. Oh, yeah. You would love it. Oh, my God. I'm jealous. I really want to go home this year, but uh, we're getting married in January, so I'm not going back to Thailand. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. I usually go home like once or twice a year, but just not this year. But my mom's coming here, so I'm excited. But yeah, my journey started as like, you know, a little girl in Thailand. And growing up in Thailand, something that I didn't realize when I was a kid, but now I do, is that it's a very, very sexually conservative place. Okay. And, you know, the things that you've seen on media about Thailand, all of that is just for tourists. If you're Thai and you grow up in that culture, you will know that we're very sexually conservative and just conservative okay. in general. Yeah. Uh, so I remember being a teenager, uh, a very like horny teenager, and <laughs> really didn't have any like outlets and didn't have anyone to talk to because if you started talking about sexual things, then you are seen as this like, you know, like crazy girl, like witchy and just not like not worthy, not a good girl. So even just talking about it. Oh, yeah. Even just talking wow. about it. It's super taboo. So I never really talked about sex with anyone really. And fast forward to, you know, but like during that time, I also we I had dial up internet because I'm, I'm like 34 <laughs> now. So growing up, I had dial up internet. It was really slow. But even that time, I was so curious. I So I would like look up porn and I would watch porn on dial up internet. A lot of anxiety because I, I was afraid my parents would come in. Of course. Um, yeah, but that was like the extent of my sex education when I was younger. Fast forward to when I came to the United States for school, uh, for university, uh, I first came to Los Angeles. And then like I immediately realized right away that Los Angeles is a lot more sex positive and inclusive and less like sex is less taboo here. Right. So, you know, I, I was exposed to like going to a sex toy shop for the first time and watching Sex in the City and realize I am Asian Samantha. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, which one are you? Got to segue into that a little bit. I'm probably, so I'm probably mostly a Carrie. Oh, I, <laughs> are you yeah, a homeless I'm, romantic? 
hopeless romantic. I moved to LA to be a writer. I spend all of my money on clothes and fashion. Um, So in in so many ways, I would say that I'm definitely a Carrie. Yes. Like shoes mean more than food. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I like to think I have some of a Samantha tendency, but I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say I have enough of the confidence that she has. <laughs> oh yeah. I feel like I wasn't her, but then now I'm definitely her. Oh, uh, with like splash with splashes of all the other characters. Yeah. So yeah, like, I came here and then I was exposed to more sex positive ideas. Yeah. Then when I uh got into graduate school, I decided to study relationships because I've always been intrigued in like relationships because that really makes life worthwhile um all kinds of relationships I study like family sex communication I studied um like social support from friends and yeah uh romantic relationships attachment style so in graduate school I was exposed to a lot of ideas that are that I found very interesting and then I realized through studying relationships particularly particularly romantic relationship, I realized that sex is the biggest issue that long-term couples have. So when I realized that professionally, then I chose to pursue this topic entirely because I want to be a part of uh, the solution to a big problem, really a global problem. Yeah. And personally, I was, I married um, young and I was, you know, in a relationship that wasn't right for me and I wasn't sexually fulfilled. And I went through like a huge personal and relationship journey and sexual awakening. So to get here, it was like a lot of just personal and professional experiences combined. And for the last few years, I've really expanded myself from being, you know, uh, fully academic, like uh, I'm a tenured professor at Cal State University Fullerton. But for the last couple of years, I have expanded myself into mass media and social media. And it's just been so rewarding to help uh, lots of people, you know, become more sex positive and really to teach sexual communication because that's like my forte. Well, it must have been so interesting going through what you were with your first marriage and realizing all of these things and like understanding that maybe this wasn't the most fulfilling relationship for you while learning about it. And it's like, it it was almost so interesting how like those two things happened at the same time. And it's like, it it was probably maybe confusing, but also really helpful that you were learning how to communicate and about sexual fulfillment while in a relationship where maybe those things were lacking before. Oh, yeah. It like directly affected my life. (laughs) Like I was doing research and prepping for lecture and I I wrote a textbook, Sexual Communication Research in Action. So as I was doing all these things, I then improved my own life as well by doing all these, uh, you know, exercises and communication practices that I'm suggesting people to do. Yeah, absolutely. And and also you gave a TEDx talk this year. Congratulations. Thank you. That's amazing. I love that. It's become sexually powerful. And I feel like, you know, I read that and the first thing I thought was, why in your opinion is it so important to work on sexual empowerment and confidence? Like why why does that why does it why is that like a necessary skill to learn? Yeah, in my personal belief, uh, and I have professional data to prove it, is that our sexuality is a huge part of our identity. And to live the most fulfilling life, 
we should be able to like reconcile and not only that to celebrate our sexuality and that's why yeah. sexual empowerment is so important and i know that it's like such a sound bite to say you know become sexually empowered like sexual empowerment is so important i <laughs> definitely understand for a lot of people who feel so far away from this concept it can sound like just a sound bite right. but there's lots of empirical research to prove that sexual empowerment and really like become be Being comfortable with your own sexuality and you celebrate your sexuality uh, is such a healthy and positive thing for your physical health, mental health, emotional, and psycholo psychological health. Yeah, and it's it, it's interesting too that it affects other areas of your life. I think a lot of people don't realize that. Like I talk about this a lot on the show, but I started an OnlyFans like a year ago, and I Ooh. always make this comment about how I feel like. Working, you know, in sex work. You know, I've been a sex educator for a few years, but working directly in sex work and you know working with men and kind of forming these like online relationships has made me a more confident and boundaryed person in my life. In other ways, like I feel like I'm just more capable of setting boundaries, whether that's with friends or in like a workplace setting, because I am more sexually empowered and more confident, and I feel like I can like navigate. Relationships and you know interactions with strangers and interactions where I'm getting you know hit on in a bar or whatever the case right. is so much better because of sexual empowerment. It really does kind of like seep into other areas of your life. Oh my gosh, Raya, you're gonna love this. Uh, get this. My study based on five thousand individuals, I found a significant correlation between sexual communication and sexual confidence. So no wonder you're doing all of these communication and interaction with people, and of course it, you know, um, increases your confidence and vice versa, yes. right? So the more you do this practice, the more likely you're going to be a lot more confident in all aspects of life. So there's data to prove what you had just said about your personal life experience. That is so insane, but it, it makes so much sense because I feel like the people I know who struggle with sexual empowerment, sexual confidence, struggle with that in real life and day to day. You know, it's harder to ask for a raise at work. It's harder to oh, yeah. stand up for yourself or set clear boundaries with family or whatever the case is. You know, they it all it all works together. So it it totally makes sense that the more sexually you know communicative you are and confident that that would work in your other areas of your life. Yeah, 100. I often talk about this with my students and my clients. Like, you know, sometimes you go to a party or a gathering, and when someone walks in, you just know they have like good sex life. Yes, 100. <laughs> like they're sexually confident and they exude that type of energy. And I think that's something that you know, kind of unexplainable, but you see it, you feel it, and and that's been my personal experience. So let's say someone wants to build up their sexual confidence, right? Whether they're single or in a relationship, and I think maybe specifically for younger people, it can be kind of hard, right, to like vocalize needs or boundaries. What are some of the more day-to-day -day practices that someone can do when they're working on building sexual confidence? Yes. So there's empirical research to that prove that these three different methods work really well. Um, the first one is, and we talked about this actually a little bit before, is journaling. <laughs> okay. So the first <laughs> method is through journaling, and you would think like, "Well, what do you journal about?" Um, right. It can be really about anything about your sex life, about your own, you know, sexual desire, the kinks, something you've seen on porn. It's really just practicing free writing about sex. Okay. 
it allows for your brain to kind of get caught up uh, about all these sexual feelings that you've been feeling or maybe the lack thereof. But it allows you to explore alone with no judgment, low stake, and it will help you interact and communicate with other people these sexual ideas uh, easier when you have um, written it down before on your own. Yeah. So you can do that. You can also like if you Google journal prompts, uh, a lot of sexual journal prompts will come up and you can just respond to those prompts as well. So this practice research found has significantly improved a lot of people's sexual confidence. The second practice, and this is kind of along, it goes along with the first one. The second practice is uh, affirmations and visualizations. Okay. Uh, there's research, a lot of research in positive psychology that shows that that works for like literally any aspect of life. So like you were talking about asking for a race before you can do the same thing, affirmation and visualization before you, you know, ask for a race. So it works yeah. for every aspect of life. Actually, uh, one of the most like the leading researchers in uh, peak performers, like the, he looks at athletes and people that are like, giving peak performance and he yeah. found that almost all of them do visualizations have you ever visualized something absolutely all the time Ooh, what's been a recent thing you visualized uh so i recently bought my first home oh my gosh congratulations yes. thank oh you my so gosh much. that of you gotta <laughs> yeah <laughs> shout out for sure they and should hire you to be there like um a promote like model right <laughs> and for me you know obviously that process is really complicated and very long and something can change every day when you're working with lenders and all that stuff and for me i was constantly visualizing myself in the home you know i, I had toured it i had seen it and i was constantly visualizing myself in it, the kind of furniture I'd put in it, the, you know, parties I'd have, the people I'd have, all the way down actually going back to this, even like, you know, the sex I would have in it with my partner, everything down to the nitty gritty and just like day-to-day -day living in it. And, you know, and and it for me, it was almost like a manifestation of like, I'm, I'm visualizing my future. Oh, I love that. I love the details. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're a pro already in visualization. <laughs> it has worked for you. So see, there's proof. Exactly, there's proof. <laughs> yeah, I often visualize like kind of like simple things. Um, You know, I'll visualize things like this interview going well. I'll visualize right. things like, uh, you know, having a relaxing time when I go on vacation. Or sometimes I'll visualize, of course, like, you know, having sex with my partner and like certain types of kinky sex. Yes. Uh, and get like really turned on, turned on and horny. Uh, so sexual visualizations and sexual affirmations, um, there's research that show these things help improve sexual confidence over time. And sexual affirmation doesn't have to be anything convoluted at all. You can just say to yourself, you know, I am a competent lover. Um, yeah. I am a great lover. I love my body. I love my sexual energy. And you can just say that in the mirror um, every single day. And research found that it has helped increase people's confidence. Now, the last method is sexual meditation. And uh, there's a lot of research that uh, came out of the University of British Columbia that show 
sexual meditation and really mindfulness-based interventions for men and women, ha- and it has helped them significantly in overcoming things like pain, like genital pain, yeah. sexual anxiety, um, and a lot of like desire issues. Like there was one particular experiment where the women had had some type of cancer and have very low to none like desire or sex drive. Yeah. And they were enrolled in this program and they started doing sexual meditation and almost all of them have reported uh, an increased and healthier level of sexual desire. So we know that sexual meditation works um, and it can be very simple, like a five minute thing. Uh, I have a free guided sexual meditation on YouTube if anyone's interested, but there's also a bunch online if you Google it. Wow, I love that. And it's that's one thing too that I think is such an it's well it's such an obvious thing but it's also not and a lot of people don't realize that they're connected but mindfulness and meditation and how important those practices can be in your sex life yeah because i think we're so used to being connected and online all the time and overly stimulated and we're going a mile a minute and we're thinking about a hundred different things and sometimes i think that really affects our interpersonal relationships and our sex life because it's hard to just turn that off right it's hard to just like even sometimes i find falling asleep is hard because i'm constantly wanting to check my phone or the tv's on or i'm binge watching a show or i just am thinking about whatever i have to do the next day and it's so obvious that that would kind of seep into our sex lives and make it a little bit more difficult what you know to turn your brain off and be completely present and mindful during sex. Oh yeah, 100%. And you brought up really good points there. I mean, I would talk to some couples and then they would choose, you know, being on their phones and social media over having sex at night. Wow. And that's a choice you make, you know, yeah, that's absolutely. the type of effort that you put in and to say, well, you know, we just haven't been passionate for a long time. Like, of course not, because in, you you prioritize things that are important to you. Exactly. And if you say, you know, coming home after work, having dinner with your loved ones, and then I, you want to be on the phone for an hour rather than sexually connect, that's the decision you make. Completely. And that's something, too, that I've been trying to navigate with my partner. And one thing I think that's helped us is having specific like phone time. So we'll do this funny thing where like at night, you know, maybe we've like, we're hanging out on the couch. Maybe we've like smoked a little weed. We're having dinner or whatever. And we'll dedicate like an hour to like just sitting on the couch together and like, let's just be screenagers. Let's just be on the on our phone. We can be on, you know, for me, a lot of times it's like eBay or I'm like shopping or, you know what I mean? Yeah. And for him, a lot, yeah. it's like, you know, fantasy hockey, but it's like, dedicating a specific amount of time, like an hour to just be together, but being on our phone. And then it's like, cool, we did that. Now, like it's no phones for the rest of the night or whatever the case is. And it's like, ded- it's there. I think, you know, dedicating time to that is nice because it's like, we're always, we have to be on our phones, right? We're, we have to send a text or an email or whatever. And it's like, it's okay to be on your phone and want to just kind of sit in the couch and do nothing and just kind of mindlessly scroll. But giving a dedicated amount of time for it has been really helpful because then it's like, okay, we did that. We got it out of the way. We got the addiction, the urge out of the way. Like now we can focus on each other. Wow. I really like that method. It's like, here's our phone time. Like, and it's still, it's still like a shared experience, right? Like it's not like you're completely in different rooms. Like you're still spending time together and you're like, okay, dedicated phone time. And then then you're both on the phones and then, okay, we're off the phones. Now we're just together and focusing on each other. That's such a great method. 
Yeah, it's helped a lot because I think for me too, it's hard and I'm sure you can relate to this when you are, you know, self-employed or you do a lot of social media work or podcast work. It's hard to shut it off when you don't have like a nine to five job. It's like you're working all the time. Yeah. Eventually, you know, it's hard to set, it's harder to set boundaries. It's e- very easy to pick up the phone and, you know, re- respond to an email at 10 o'clock at night. But then, you know, it's, it, you have to kind of realize like, oh, this is, you know, I've, I've worked even if it wasn't, you know, a specific amount of time this time to this time, if you put it all together, every time I've looked at my phone or done research or sent an email, I've worked, you know, I've worked more than enough hours today. It's time to put it away. So. Oh my gosh. For anyone who does like, you know, content creation and yeah. like work on the phone, you just end up being on the phone a lot. And I know that a lot of people that I talk to, they don't love it, but it's like a part of their vitality, right? Yeah. So having some type of management, like tech management method is really important. Completely. So, and I know we, you you touched on this a little bit, but I wanted to talk about sexual performance anxiety because that's something that I've struggled with and partners of mine of like multiple gender identities have struggled with. And I think it's, I think a hard thing about performance anxiety is that it affects everyone so differently and so personally, yeah. like, you know, depending on your life and your experience and your sexual identity and like, you know, previous traumas or whatever the case is. It's, you know, I guess my question is how does someone navigate performance anxiety? Like, especially, I think a lot of times people even realize they're, don't even realize they're struggling with it. I think a lot of times people think like, oh, I'm just, you know, not a very sexual person or I have a low sex drive or, oh, I just, you know, I'm a naturally like shy sexual person when in reality they might be dealing with sexual performance anxiety. Oh, yeah. So many people, I mean, you know, I feel like statistics don't do it justice because a lot of people are biased when they report their own anxiety, Um, perhaps due to, you know, social desirability. They don't want to say, oh, they have issues with sex. But I would say all of us have had sexual anxiety at some point. Sometimes it's more like peripheral and transitional, but some people have a little bit more permanent issue. The very first thing that we should all understand and get on the same page as a society is that um, there is a huge stigma for having sexual anxiety and performance anxiety because so much of our identity is attached to our sexuality, particularly men. Because, you know, a lot of men will find that their identity is attached to their penises. Yes. (laughs) Would you agree? (laughs) Completely. It's like the the biggest question I get in this slew of questions for the podcast or even on OnlyFans is – you know, is my, is my dick big enough? Is my dick wide enough? Is it, you know, am I lasting long enough in bed? It's like all of these questions revolve around sexual performance anxiety and specifically around men and their penis. Yeah. A lot of concerns. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. And I think that a lot of this, um, mainstream porn has really kind of convinced young men that, you know, an eight-inch penis is normal. Right. And so if I was a 16-year-old boy, I would look at my penis and go, holy shit, now I'm anxious. Yeah. Right? And I'm not saying that some of this unrealistic porn is this sole problem. There are a lot of problems in, right. in our society when it comes to sex. But it is definitely a contributing factor that we can't, you know, overlook. That's why now there's like, ethical porn or uh direct like content creators on OF yes. that are that give them more like affirmations and realistic you know 
communication about sex, which is so important. But um, yeah, the first thing is to overcome sexual anxiety is to understand that there is a misguided societal norms uh, right now about how sex works and how performance works. It is a very performance-based society and not like a pleasure-based society. Right. It's like, how do I look as I fuck? How does my penis look? How does my vagina look and smell? Like, does my vulva look pretty? You know, um, so it's a lot about performance and how you look rather than how you feel and whether or not it's pleasurable. And we need to move away from that performance based relationship into pleasure based and empathy based relationship. And that's like the first thing in order to like treat anxiety, performance anxiety. That's the first thing that you have to shift your mindset towards. Yes. It's an unlearning, I feel like, because we're taught from such a young age that, you know, you start watching porn pretty young, but even in like mainstream media and TV, it's like the men are always like macho and they can get hard immediately and they can last all night. And it's like all of these like giant penises and porn. And it's like, no wonder that's like affecting people on this crazy level in terms of like performance anxiety. You're so right. Mainstream media does the same thing. I mean, you know, as much as I love Cardi B, there's a lot of uh, music that insinuate like eight inch penises is. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Or that like, you know, having sex all night is normal or that being able to like stay hard forever is normal. Like all of these kind of things. And they, they absolutely, I think, seep into our psyche. Yeah, when I tell people about like research found, you know, women uh, enjoy like 10 minute penetration or like 15 minute penetration. They're always go, what? I thought yes. it's like at least 45 minutes. I'm like 45 of direct penetration. That's that insane. Sounds, that sounds awful to me, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I 100% it would hurt. A lot of times people will ask on, you know, the podcast, you know, what's the what's the average amount of time, you know, for penetrative sex or what's the amount of time a girl likes? And even with my partner now, it's like they'll apologize apologize if it's too short. And I'm like, listen, if I came, I'm happy. You know, that's, that's, that's fine. Whether it took five minutes or 20 minutes, it's like, I'm fine. And I think that's a huge thing is the time is so crazy because you see these, even in these like, you know, fairly, you know, PG rom-coms, it's like, it goes all night and then it's like, it's sunrise and it's, it's gone hours. And it's like, I don't need, you know, I don't need all that. It's nice once in a while to have like a crazy night. And maybe there's like a lot of foreplay or you're playing games or you're getting kinky. But like, like you said, for penetrative sex, it's like 10, 15 minutes is, is chef's kiss. I don't need any more than that. Yeah, exactly. It's standard. And um, we just have such like misguided beliefs about all these things, you know, yes. the size, the performance, how it, how long it should take. And the fact that like so many people, I, I guess so many men don't think that other men have sex issues. Yeah, but it's also crazy. Women, right? If you have a low sex drive or low sexual desire, or you have a lot of anxiety engaging in um, a sexual interaction, you might not feel like talking to your girlfriends about it because there's a, you know, right now, it depends on where you are, really. It really, a lot of it depends on where you are (laughs) because there are small communities where like you never talk about sex because sex is only reserved for married couples. Right. And of course, you're going to have so much anxiety when it comes to performance because you have not had sex, have not talked about sex, have not seen any type of sexual activity. Then you're married and you're usually in these communities, people marry really young. Then you're married. 
you're 21 or 22 and you're supposed to have bomb ass sex. Like (laughs) how does that work in real, like being realistic? And it's so hard too when you've never, especially for people who marry young, who have never really gotten a chance to even explore their own bodies and explore masturbation and really kind of figure out what they like first on their own and then kind of bringing that into sex with other people. I think it, it really makes it hard to like navigate. Like I don't even know what I like. So I don't even, of course I don't know how to ask for it. I don't even know what it is. Oh, masturbation. Good point. Masturbation is so important in like feeling sexually empowered. If you can't give yourself pleasure, it is, uh, you know, more likely that you're not going to allow other people's energy and actions to like help you come. Yeah. Right? I feel like it's so powerful to give myself an orgasm. Absolutely. It's like, and, and it, it's for me, it's really how I was such a late bloomer with masturbation because I grew up, you know, in like a very traditional, like Cuban Catholic household. And so it was one of those things where it was just like, I never had sex ed. I was never talked about it. I was never, you know, shown that that was like normal or okay. And so it took me a while. And it's the difference between my sex life before I started regularly masturbating and after is night and day because it's like, oh, now I know I like this position or this type of, you know, this many fingers or whatever the case is. And then I can bring that into the bedroom and say, hey, this is what I like. This is what I need to get off. Versus before I was having a lot of performative sex or I was having a lot of sex where, you know, whatever the other person wanted was okay because I didn't even know what it was yet. Oh my gosh, girl, me too. <laughs> yeah, in my in my early 20s, I had a lot of performative sex. Like Oh, me too. I faked so many orgasms. So like, many. You know, all the guys out there that <laughs> <laughs> I know. So you know I did not come most of the times. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely not. And, and it's it's you know, Sometimes people go, well, why didn't you just tell them? Uh, At that time, I didn't have like the skills and the confidence and the self-esteem to do so. Right. Exactly. It's not an easy conversation to have. No, not at all. And I find that this is such a universal experience too. Yeah, absolutely. And I think too, I notice a lot, like whether it's people writing into the podcast or even like friends, that people have a hard time prioritizing sexual skills, like working on them. You know, it's like people will work on their work skills, on their resume building, on their hobbies or communication with friends. But people almost feel shame, I think, like saying, I am going to prioritize working on my sex life. That's a priority. And it's like, I wonder, you know, I'd love to talk to you about like why that is. Like, I'm sure there's an aspect of shame, right? And people struggling with like we talked about earlier, like pleasure being at the forefront of someone's needs. People almost have a hard time. They think that there's something inherently wrong with being like, I'm going to prioritize my pleasure and I am going to actively work on sexual skills. Oh, yeah. And I mean, it's really a lot of it is because for the longest time, we're in this like period of purity culture. And in purity culture, someone who is sexually assertive, who is claiming that they want to work on their sexual well-being is not like someone who is, quote unquote, a good girl, right? Like a good girl is innocent, doesn't talk about sex, is, you know, not someone who is sexually assertive. So, of course, you know, the residual of for the longest time having this culture, and again, this is still mainstream culture for a lot of people around the world, uh, is the residual is that you are too afraid or you just naturally don't prioritize your sexual wellness because for the longest time, it's never been important. Right. 
And yeah, I think it's so hard to say, tell people hey, I'm focusing on this. You know, this is a thing right now for me. Like, well, what are you working on? Oh, honestly, I'm working on, you know, sexual skills, building sexual <laughs> confidence. That would, you know, it's so hard for people to say that. Exactly. And that's why I love talking about it because it makes some people uncomfortable. But then when I observe that some people in the group that I'm talking to is uncomfortable, I love it because I know that they're like kind of breaking out of their shells and, you know, I can help like kind of almost like inflict this little seed of change. And then maybe later on, you know, in the day, the week, the month, the life, they will like try to improve their sexual skills and work on themselves sexually. So yeah, we're both doing this job that, you know, we're trying to normalize working on our sexual skills and talking about sex and normalizing sex positivity through our platforms. And I think it's so, so, so important. And I'm so glad to see um, the rise of like sex content creators and um, educators and coaches and therapists, because I think it's so important that there's still so much work to be done. Completely. It makes me so happy whenever I get, you know, messages or people who are like, you know, I didn't even realize this was a problem until you talked about it. Or I have, you know, the confidence now to do this because I just didn't think anybody else was. And I thought this was normal to not talk about. And then I realized that it's not normal and that other people have the confidence. And now I'm like, oh, well, if they can do it, then I can do it. And being that like example and being like, hey, you can live, you know, a happy, fulfilled life. You can live without shame. People won't, you know, you're not going to get in trouble. And I think, you know, telling people that like you can talk about these things and be open about them um, is so important for people and kind of like easing their anxiety. Absolutely. Yeah. When I teach my students and we just had our last class for the semester yesterday. Oh, nice. Oh, not yesterday, like on Wednesday. And uh, I was telling them, okay, now you guys can go be agents of change in your own little communities, yeah. in your friend group, in your family, for your siblings, for your niece and nephew. Like be the sex positive person in your community because that's how we're going to create change like in a mass level. I know. I love that. Okay. So another thing I was really excited to talk about is you have a dating clarity program. And I love this because I think dating is a skill, right? And I think a lot of people struggle with those skills. So um, I would love to chat a little about like what that entails. Like why do you think it's important to have resources like your program or classes around attracting things that you desire when dating? Because I have so many friends even now who are trying to date and especially in a big city like Los Angeles, it can be so tough. Oh, yeah. Um, Los, I'm in Los Angeles as well. And I know um, when I go to, you know, parties or gatherings, I realize like so many people uh, complain about dating here. Yes, it's all the time. It's definitely a thing. <laughs> um, I think, you know, and not just my program, but really any type of resources like dating books and podcasts and other coaches that provide dating um, skill services. Yeah. I do think that that's helpful in a lot of ways for people who are perhaps not the most, you know, skilled in social interactions. Uh, I've worked on many, usually men that have not been the most like extroverted or yeah. social. And it's even harder for them to go on dates and to, you know, initiate dates or escalate it to um, 
a, a certain level of closeness, they find it very difficult because perhaps like in college or in high school, they weren't the most social person. And I've noticed that this is kind of the group of people that have like inquired and worked with me the most. Yeah. And I think there is definitely no shame in getting like, you know, honing your skills as an adult for socialization and dating. Uh, particularly in dating, there are certain steps in which people perhaps are not used to, like escalating romantic intent. Yes. Right? Because a lot of people get what is called friend-zoned. Because yeah. they're so nice. Yeah, because they're so nice and they talk about ho like hobbies and they ask questions and then they ended up being their friend. Like right. the girls are like, oh my God, love you. Like, dude, let's hang out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, if you get dude, let's hang out, you're probably her friend. Yes. <laughs> and uh, a lot of times for these guys, they find it difficult to communicate romantic intent or sexual intent. So in my program, I specifically talk about different ways you can portray, uh, like use verbal and nonverbal communication to portray romantic and sexual intent. And yeah. this is very important through practice because, you know, I can, I can give you like a book and say, read this and here's the three ways to do it. But you practice with me. And I'm very like a very natural interaction person. So uh -huh. I would just act like, oh, hi. Yeah, I'm Mandy. And then the I literally coach them through these conversations. Like they will, we will do a lot of role play. And I have seen such like amazing success. And I just love seeing my clients grow. And um, it's like they're my babies. <laughs> Yeah, and it's in a so, non in a non creepy way. It's like of oh. course, of course, but it's so important, I think, to cultivate this idea that it's okay to need to work on a skill or to need to practice something. I think a lot of times, like with like we talked about, like media and in society, people think that it's just like an inherent thing that everybody has it, and that if you don't have these skills, you're weird. There's something wrong with you. When in reality, exactly. it's just like everything else, and it needs you need to practice and you need to work on it if you want to get better. Oh, yeah, exactly. And, you know, that's so true because mainstream media often portray, you know, quote, unquote, awkward men as these like losers and they're, yes. they don't get dates, they don't get chicks. And then they will portray like a uh, handsome, confident, uh, full of dating skills man who is like getting all the chicks. And it sucks because then it put a almost like makes men who have slight like social anxiety, like feel even worse. Right. It's like they never show some guy who's like really, you know, has a great job and is confident in other ways and is handsome as being socially awkward when in reality that I'm sure that happens all the time. All the time. All the time. Yeah. Literally. So I think it's just like I the big – Yeah, exactly. So it's like the big thing is like understanding that, you know, sexual confidence and dating and – you know, it's a, it's a skill and it's a skill that you need to practice and work on and learn. And it's kind of like the fun thing about it is, is it's like a never ending thing. You know, there's always something to learn or work on or be better at. And, you know, if you lean into it and you make it this thing, that's not scary, it can actually be fun and be like, cool. Like this was fun to learn. Like role playing is fun. Like I'm going to go out and practice or get on, get on a dating app and go on a couple practice dates and see how it goes and like practice, you know, leaning into making those connections and making them sexual and exciting and confident and, you know, kind of just like seeing where things go. I think it's just important to normalize the fact that like this isn't natural for everyone. And, you know, sometimes it takes yeah. some time and some practice. 
Raya, you're making a really great point here. Is having a, the growth mindset instead of、yes. a fixed mindset, and I think、uh, all the people that reach out for you know any type of help in order to become more skilled as a dater or as a person in a relationship. Typically, have growth mindset. They know、right. that they can change and improve, and they're excited to do so. But the people with fixed mindset, who is like, "This is just me. I can't change. This is、right. it." Then you know, life is never going to become more fulfilling because you have already accepted defeat. Exactly. So I feel like the big thing is growth over fixed and pleasure over performance. Woo! I love that. That is <laughs> a great little clip. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for joining me. I just looked at the clock and I was like, "Oh, it's already been forty minutes."、Um, awesome! You're、I、such、know. a great host. Thank you so much. I mean, it helps that you're also a great host, so we work really well <laughs> together. I think. <laughs> yeah, it's been a pleasure.